Hello, everyone. Welcome back to that GD show. Hey, Genevieve. Hey, I'm so excited to be back. It was weird last week not being here. Yeah, can I, you can tell everyone that Genevieve <laughs> missed being here last week. I did. I really did. Uh, I'm sorry that I don't have an adorable tiny human um, with me, but... Well, uh, you know what? We, had to, we, we brought in two co-hosts last week to replace you, Jenna Belk and her son, Dexter. So... Yeah, he was the star of the show based on the comments. And welcome, Dr. Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Good to have you with us. You know, you this was that not the snazziest intro music you've heard on any YouTube show <laughs> pretty ever? Pretty snazzy. Pretty snazzy. <laughs> pretty, yeah. Pretty oh, Dave, I didn't tell you, uh, but I was on uh, Truth Wanted on Friday, and we had a call come in, and, and they asked me, they said, before I get into my question, because I don't want to take up too much of your time, um, will you be in the Discord after show? Because I have a question for Genevieve. And I was like, yes, I will. And so lo and behold, that question was, what is that intro music? You have to let me know. <laughs> And I'm so sorry to tell everybody that it's not a uh, it's not a song that has any musician that I can find anywhere else. Uh, it's this guy named McVitt uh, who put out a bunch of just funky show tunes for for folks like us who want songs for our YouTube, but uh, don't want to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars in royalties for songs you've ever heard. So I hope yeah, that answers the question we've... once for all. We found it on some site. I uh, forget what the name of it was, but I've had several people ask me, and it's I've seen it in the comments and stuff. So yeah, we're pleased with it. It, it works. Gives gives a little energy boost going in. Um, by the way, everyone, want to remind you this is a call in show. We take calls of all kinds. Well, not from everyone. There are some trolls who are banned. <laughs> at the, the usual suspects. But call us at two one seven three seven five nine nine. Three, three. I can't see. Those letters are so small. I should, I should know that number. WWDD of the last. Um, and and have you know there may if you've got calls about uh, what we're going to talk about tonight, which is Bible languages, the Old Testament, the formation of the Bible, the stories in the Bible, primarily the Old Testament, because that's I think that's your expertise, right, Josh? Yeah, it's. One I of them. That's my thing. <laughs> one of your expertise. You, uh, anyway, if calling about that, if you want to talk Bible, if you want to talk Old Testament, or any other questions you have for Josh or me or Genevieve, we're here to chat with you. Um, so, Josh, you and I—we've we, not met. We've kind of connected online a couple times, and as it turns out, we're planning to be together at at a couple of conferences next year where we're both scheduled mm -hmm. to speak. 
uh, two that I know of so far. So that'll be fun. Um, what I, I want to kind of start with a little bit of your background and who you are, where you came from, how you got to be doing the stuff you're doing now. Um, you can take, you know, as much or as little time as you want to kind of, kind of give us some, some background on that. So I'll start with, uh, one thing I know about you is that you, uh, graduated from Liberty University. Oh, yes. We thanks, for, there. thanks for opening with that. <laughs> yeah, well, I got I to gotta start hard there. Let's go. Yeah, so um, yeah, I, I, I guess a little bit of background. I grew up a uh, fundamentalist evangelical Christian for, I guess I was, I was that for 26 years in the end before I deconverted. Wow. Um, and so... I joined the Air Force when I was 17, and while I was in, I decided I wanted to become a chaplain, and the way to do that was to get uh, a bachelor's degree and then go get a, a master's degree at a seminary. Um, and so the school that I was able to attend while I was on active duty was Liberty University's distance learning program. Mm. Uh, so I did that, and uh, by the way, I'm getting a little bit of an echo. I don't know if it's just me, but... Um, I don't hear it. What do you... I hear... Okay. Okay, I think we're as long fine. as you guys don't hear it, that's all that matters. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, I uh, I got my got my bachelor's from Liberty and uh, then enrolled at Capital Bible Seminary, which is another fundamentalist evangelical school, and went on to get a master's of theology there before I went for my PhD. Okay, and and w at Liberty you got a basic. Edu what kind of a, a degree did you get there? Basic education. It was a bachelor's then... in theology, bachelor's okay. science in theology. I think I think you said that. Word religion. Yeah. And then you you uh, did you ever get into the chaplaincy? I was a chaplain candidate for four or five years, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Which is they commission you as a second lieutenant and you do tours, uh, but you're not, you know, you're not officially a, a chaplain. Um. So I did a tour at the Air Force Academy. Uh, I went, did one at Nellis Air Force Base. So uh, some some cool places to go. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, they offered me that uh, that position up at uh, or that uh, PhD candidate position up at uh, Johns Hopkins, and it's one that I couldn't turn down. So, and what did you study at Johns Hopkins? Tell us what what you did there and what you what you what happened while you were there. So uh, while I was getting my master's in theology, I focused in on the Old Testament, Hebrew Bible, that sort of thing. So I started studying Semitic languages like crazy. So you know, everybody learns Koine Greek, um, but then I learned Hebrew and then Aramaic and then Targumic Aramaic and then Akkadian and started studying Ugaritic and Syriac, blah, 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 all these languages <laughs> that help you, you know, dig, dig further down into the Hebrew Bible. And uh, I spoke to a professor while I was there, maybe my fifth year, and said, uh, you know, wh wh what do you think I should do? And he said, well, you have the, I don't think he said it this way, but it was sort of like you have the psychosis of liking to study a lot. And so, you you know, not many people have that. So you should you should go get a PhD. Mm -hmm. Don't waste that psychosis. Um, and he said, if you really want to be the best at studying you know, the Old Testament. Uh, you want to learn East Semitic. That's what you want to learn. You want to learn Akkadian. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, by the way, uh, I have no idea what these things are that you're saying, but I'm going to nod like I know what you're talking about. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll get there in, in probably nine seconds now. Um, so the languages, you know, Hebrew is a Semitic language. Mm-hmm. So it's cognate with, um, you know, it's in the same language family as like Arabic. Um, and of course, ancient languages, like dead languages, like Aramaic, say, uh, languages. I was going to say, these are, uh, these are dead languages for yeah. the most part, like Latin. They, no one speaks them anymore, but they're historical right. languages. Okay, gotcha. I want to yeah. make sure I was I, clear on that. I mean, people speak Hebrew still, and there are people that speak a dialect of Aramaic. But yeah, for the most part, the, the ancient languages are still different, different mm-hmm. enough anyway. Um, and so Akkadian is one of those Semitic languages that's we have a lot of Akkadian material. Um, and it's it's actually preserved on mm-hmm. cuneiform tablets, uh, clay tablets. So, um, you know, they said that that's the language that you really want to focus in on if you want to become like this great Old Testament scholar. So that's what I apply to the field that you go into to study Akkadian and like the ancient Near East in general is called Assyriology. So like ancient Assyria. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what I, that's what I majored in was Assyriology because I wanted to really study Akkadian and Sumerian, the Southern ancient language. Uh, and I minored in Hebrew Bible because of all my experience in it. So that's what I got my PhD in. I majored in Assyriology, minored in Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and all this while you were still a Christian at Johns Hopkins, but it was. No. So, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> uh, so I taught, uh, at this very fundamentalist school, Capital Bible Seminary, the last two years that I was there, I taught, um, mm-hmm. graduate, the graduate seminar, the graduate cycle of, uh, Hebrew, Hebrew language. And, uh, when I was getting ready to leave, I'd been accepted to Hopkins uh, I, I saw the dean like on the way out the door after teaching my last class. So I was holding my Hebrew Bible in my hand, and he said, uh, "He said, are you are you ready to go to Johns Hopkins? A very liberal school, you know." Uh, was he saying Satan's, that kind kind of in a uh, accusatory, like, yeah, do like you know what Satan's you know what you're there. doing? Okay, yeah, gotcha. Satan's at work there. Are you sure <laughs> yeah. you know what you're doing? <laughs> And I remember holding up my Hebrew Bible and I said, I'm going into the lion's den, but I'm mm. going to win souls for Christ. Now, you really still yeah. believe that at that point, right? Oh, yes, very much. So you very were very sincere so. thinking, I can handle this. I can go into this liberal bastion of of carnality and, and come out unscathed, right? Yeah. Yes. You know, what I, I just, you know, not to interject, but I just, I find that so funny because as we mentioned briefly in the show, I, I also went to Johns Hopkins for my undergrad and I, I didn't finish, but the funniest thing was that I went to study economics and in my senior year of high school, I was with my economics mentor, um, working on some, some, you know, extracurricular project, um, and he said, are you ready to go to Johns Hopkins? They're very conservative. And oh so it just, I find that perspective just so, so funny. Um, that is but hilarious. But if you, if you are coming from like a fundamentalist background, I can see how what our conservative is, yes. is very liberal and worldly to, to yeah, others. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they had like recycling bins around the campus. I mean, yeah. that was a crazy liberal place. Yeah, why um, would you need to save the earth? Jesus yeah. is going to come back and burn it all I mean, up. Why, so what's why, the point? Why fix... 
Why fix the radio on a plane that's crashing? I mean, why, exactly. why do that? Uh, no, it's interesting that your perspective can can kind of dictate what you think about something. And really where you're coming from means everything in terms of what's yeah. liberal and conservative and safe and dangerous and all those things. So you went in um, feeling like you could you could maintain your faith in the midst of, of the wolves, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, no question. Um, and actually, when I got there, uh, I was taking, you know, almost as probably maybe at, at times more Hebrew Bible courses than I was a Syriology courses. Um, so like I took a, a Hebrew Bible epigraphy course and I was taking uh, biblical archaeology mm -hmm. uh, along with regular archaeology and then taking these Hebrew language classes and I had a what came, be, you know came to be a very very good friend of mine, Andrew, and he was uh, two years ahead of me in the program. And he said he he you know learned about my background and he said, oh okay all right, how long do you think you'll last? Said, what did what, he mean? You, yeah, yeah. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, I mean, you know, you're not you're not going to be an evangelical Christian for very long oh. here. And I said, oh no no I I. I don't don't you worry, buddy boy. Um, and he said, "All right, we'll see." And every week, I'd come into class, and he'd say, "How you doing?" <laughs> oh my God, that's funny. <laughs> so shut up, shut up, Andrew. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, one of the things that I think is incredibly problematic for a, a fundamentalist approach to the biblical mm -hmm. texts is this: the, first of all, the idea of inerrancy and inspiration, right, that accompanies the text. Uh, and along with that, this, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's doing injustice to the text quite often to have a literalist interpretation of it, um, in the sense that most people understand that word literalist interpretation. Mm -hmm. But the, the problem is that it's just damning to the text when you start to, uh, you know, read ancient Near Eastern literature and you see Hey, that sounds a hell of a lot like the flood story. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know? The, the first book is ever recorded, I believe, is the Epic of Gilgamesh. I, I don't know how you can read the Epic of Gilgamesh and then, you know, read the story of Noah's flood and not wonder, you know, which one is true, which inspired what, you know, it's. Yeah. And, 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 and even, you know, Sumerian literature, that's good. So the Epic of Gilgamesh is an Akkadian text. Well, you know, Sumerian is even older than Akkadian and there are Sumerian flood stories. And it's like, you know, you, you start to read this stuff and even just reading it in English translation, uh, it's like, whoa. Uh, so that coupled with having to actually study rigorously ancient Near Eastern history and archaeology, I mean, it was just like this perfect storm mm -hmm. and uh and just one day i was in a history of syria palestine class it just like popped um and i just what, what do you mean so you felt you felt it when you say it popped it's like it's like a light went off and you 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 said oh no some this this isn't real or something like that for me i think for me as for many fundamentalist evangelicals because the historicity of the biblical stories is absolutely essential 
Um, yes. When you start to see, you know, holes poked in mm -hmm. uh, these 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 narratives, like okay, you know, the Exodus didn't really happen this way. Three million people couldn't have walked out of Egypt in the Late Bronze Age, or look, Jericho didn't actually fall during the Late Bronze Age. You know, this is really problematic. Um, I, you, you start to go. These, you know, at first you could kind of be like, oh, well, I have a, yeah, I have an ex possible explanation. I have a possible explanation for that one. Yeah, you know, that, 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 this, but after the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth, twentieth, <laughs> you know, it's like, and then coupled with all this ancient literature that dates, you know, much, much earlier than the biblical text. All right. Um, you know, I remember sitting in class and we learned about the Philistines. And uh, like that was just one more thing that didn't align with the way the biblical text presents it. And it was just like, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Mm -hmm. And I just said, well, if the, if the Bible's not historically accurate, a hundred percent, then it's not inerrant. And if it's not inerrant, then it's not inspired. And if it's not inspired, then it's just a man-made book. And all this is bullshit. Man, and that's, became, that's yeah. exactly my path, Josh. Exactly. Yeah. I, all of my faith hinged upon the inspiration and inerrancy of the Bible. Yeah. And once that unraveled for me, it was like it was like the first domino and every other domino just toppled over so fast. It was disorienting yeah. and disturbing, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Genevieve, you were gonna say something? No, I, I mean, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I I talk to a lot of people who are mid-deconstruction process and uh, people who are post-deconstruction, um, as both of you are. I myself have never gone through deconstruction. I'm one of those weird lifelong atheist secular people. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it sounds like, unlike a lot of people that I talk to for whom this is like years and years of going back and forth and sort of, you know, just mm -hmm. really wrestling with this. It sounds like when, when you're in a position where you are literally at a top university studying these ancient language and there's so much that you just blatantly cannot ignore, how quick was that process for you? And was it like a, was it like a Band-Aid or was it like uh, falling into the abyss or just, you know, just like, yeah. I guess this changes my trajectory. You know, I'm, I guess I'm just wondering. It sounds to answer very that, yeah. yeah. To answer it, um effectively i'll tell the story of my friend caleb uh who came the year after me and studied all the same stuff he's an assyriologist as well very very nice there. biblical names you guys have joshua yes, and caleb, caleb and joshua that's, that's very nice <laughs> and we were inseparable like we were joined at the hip um he you know he went to trinity seminary and uh he, he maintained his evangelical faith throughout johns hopkins uh, and he's an evangelical Christian to this day and brilliant mm -hmm. scholar. There's no question, brilliant scholar. Um, and it was interesting to me because I had lots of conversations with him while we were there after I had deconverted. And I said, like, how, you know, like, how do you, how do you maintain this? How do you know, for example, um, that, you know, God is real and it's the God, it's not Enki. Mm -hmm. It's not Enlil, right? How do you know it's not Marduk? You know, and and what I find interesting, and I've thought about this actually over the past year, year and a half, quite a bit, the significant difference between me and Caleb was that I came in as a fundamentalist. 
And it hit me all at once. And it, there were no significant apologetics mm -hmm. that allowed me to like piecemeal sort of say, let me see if I can dive into this one and explain it away. Or I didn't have any of that apologetics background because it wasn't a big deal to do. Right? Mm -hmm. So then it was all at once in it, like it was one big punch that drove me back a distance to then look at the data, I think more objectively and say, okay, is it possible that this Christian thing still works? Yeah, it's possible, but it doesn't seem likely. It doesn't seem mm -hmm. like it's the most reasonable conclusion. Whereas with Caleb, you know, Caleb got his master's degree, but from a non-fundamentalist school. And so, you know, he was able to learn about things like genre and engage with, you know, possible explanations for, you know, how evolution still works and the Bible's still mm -hmm. true, those sorts of things. And so it, it was this sort of, as it came to him, you know, he was, he had support around him and he could, he could learn about these apologetic things. And then, so then it, it, it was like, for me, um, it's like the frog going into water and then you slowly turning up, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the temperature. Well, that wasn't it. It was, I'm the frog and they just dropped me in boiling water. Right. And it was boom out. Yeah. And whereas with Caleb, I think a better analogy for him is that he was in the water and they slowly turned up the heat. So then he went from boiling water, you know, into this other. So he's water able to maintain his faith to yeah. this day, as yeah. far as you know. Yeah. And, you that's know, right. that's that's what I find uh, so funny. I know um, another awesome YouTuber, uh, Paula Gia, kind of touched mm -hmm. on this before in, in his video uh, called Ken Ham Made Me an Atheist. And that's kind of the mm -hmm. problem with these like fundamentalist uh views of the bible is that if you if you go in believing everything has to be exactly how it went the earth is this many thousands of years old and dinosaurs lived with man and you know the globe everything then as soon as you just get one chink in that armor which with what we know you know not even going into understanding the ancient languages and the context of this but just going mm -hmm. off of what we know about science you know it's no wonder that people who who, you know, ascribe to that sort of fundamentalist view tend to fall much quicker than those who yeah. grow up with a, a more per progressive worldview where you understand that the Bible is a, a collection of laws and some history and some allegory and, and all of this stuff. I think it's, it's so funny because it feels like the people who are fighting the hardest mm -hmm. to, um, you know, apply the Bible to everybody and the whole world around them um, are the ones that seem to be, you know, leading, leading people away. It's, it's, mm. it's interesting. I want to say real quick, thank you, Kiro Wolf, for your very kind super sticker donation. Kiro is actually working on a draft for the, uh, my book cover, and I'm anxious to see what he comes up with. Thank you for that. Kiro, call in if you want. If you got a question for Dr. Josh, we've got some lines open. We do have a couple of callers coming in, but I want to, we'll pick them up in a minute. Um, Josh, was there ever, as you're sitting in these uh, classes at Johns Hopkins and, and all this new information is coming in that's contradictory to what you believed the Bible to be about, was there ever a point where you were having to decide which, which thing do I believe? Maybe these people that I'm listening to now are wrong and the Bible authors are right, or was the information just too compelling and too, it, it, you knew that it, what you were hearing was true and what you thought you knew was false. How Describe that process mentally for you. It's interesting because this is something that I 
I feel like I deal with now quite a bit uh, online. You know, people saying, uh, well, you know, these you know, these liberal scholars, I hear that so often, these liberal scholars, whatever yeah. that means. I think what they mean is anybody, any scholar that disagrees with their fundamentalist position. Right, right, right. Exactly, scholar. 100%. But, but, you know, these liberal scholars, they just, you know, they they hate God and they hate the supernatural and they say the supernatural is not possible. And so that's why they say the prophecies in the Bible. And it's like, whoa, whoa. I mean, I'd say half, maybe more of my department uh, identified as Christian, the faculty, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, like, and the thing is, it never matters. Like once I deconverted, I forgot about it. Mm -hmm. Like it was it, okay. I you know a couple of weeks. It was really weird and new, you know. But for the most part, the rest of my time there, Hopkins was just learning the ancient world. Mm -hmm. um, there was never like I remember taking an Ezekiel class. You know, we translated through Ezekiel and talked about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what was said about Ezekiel 26, you know, that prophecy against Tyre, um, the failed prophecy. Like, I don't even know that it came up. Wow. This was not an issue for you. It's it, because, of you know, why would it, right? I yeah. Mean, this, this, this just not what this I, I, is I find that fascinating. And I want to get back to that in a minute. I want to get to a call or two here. Um, you ready, Josh, for a call? All set. We got Tony, he, him in Mexico. He has talked with theists and is not sure if Jesus is actually God. Wanted Dr. Josh take on that. And let's see if we can get Tony on the line. Hello, Tony. Hello, guys. How you Hi, doing? Tony. Good afternoon. Welcome to I'm, the I'm show. You've got, you've got Dave Genevieve and Dr. Josh Bowen. You had a question about if Jesus is actually God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, I just wanted to say thanks to Genevieve for finally sharing the name of the intro <laughs> song. Oh, yes, there you yes, go. <laughs> I am so glad. <laughs> yeah, I've been scrolling days for weeks. Yeah. As soon anyway, as I saw you were in Mexico, uh, I assumed that was that was you. Which, by the way, cool. before you get to your before you get to your question, I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, I did get my booster shot today, my COVID booster shot. So now I've Yay. had Johnson Johnson and the Pfizer. Please get vaccinated. I know you were asking about about you know vaccination safety and efficacy. So just encourage you again. I will keep you updated if I get magnetic or die. So please move on. Thank to your you question. for sharing that, Genevieve. Yeah. You're not magnetic or anything like that. No, <laughs> no. I'm just I'm just much safer to hug and be around. So. But your five your five G of reception just went way up. Is what I understand. You know, I mean, there is a massive storm brewing, but my Wi-Fi is great. I, I it's either Jesus or myself or Pfizer. But... Well, Tony, let's talk about whether yeah. God is Jesus. What do you What are your thoughts or questions about that? Yeah, I, I usually have a, a this not debates, but like conversations with people who are uh, theists. I'm I'm being more vocal lately about this, and they usually tell me that Jesus is God. But uh, I mean, as as I understand, there's problems with that. The, there's uh, verses in the Bible where he talks with God and refers to God's will as others. But they, some of these theists actually are able to bring back some other verses in the Bible that kind of say that Jesus is actually God. 
like um, the prophecies. I, I think this is in Isaiah, the, the book of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm I'm so glad Dr. Josh is here. I, I wanted to ask his. Uh, Me too. His <laughs> so yeah, speak to that, Josh. You you're a theology major, and all of these questions about God and Jesus clear it up for yeah. us. Yes. Um, <laughs> so my probably my my favorite line that I've become known for is that's not really my area of expertise. I don't know if you guys have heard me say that before. It's a nice disclaimer, like, right? Yeah. I feel like I say that all the time because it's true. Um, so, you know, like New Testament studies, not, it's not what I got my PhD in. Right, so, right. That being said, um, there's no question that the role of theology, I mean, it's, it's, an, it's the art form of, in, in many ways, the art form of harmonization, Right. It, it's it's trying to wrestle with uh, in these in these ancient texts in these biblical texts, for example. Well, we have one statement over here that says man has free will, but then we have these other statements over here that says God is sovereign and in control of everything. How do yeah. we like how do we make this make sense? That's where theology mm-hmm. steps in, right? Well, how do we how do we do that? So how do we have passages in the canon? Um, you know, in the in the inspired word of God, one says that Jesus says no no man knows the day or the hour. Um, or makes, you know, predictions in Matthew 24 about uh, this generation will not pass away and the Son of Man will come and then that doesn't happen. So how do you have, um, you know, these types of statements that seem to depict God and Jesus in a very human light, uh, but then yet particularly in like passages like John or in the book of Revelation or, you know, there are other passages like, Tony's talking about Isaiah 53 and these prophecies, you know, these, these prophecies that are supposed to be about him. Um, Even in Romans. Yeah. Romans is also mentioned. 9-6, if I believe. Yeah. Something. So, you know, how do we reconcile those things? And again, this is sort of the role of theology. And the assumption, the underlying uh, underlying assumption in this is that both have to be right. Mm-hmm. right. In the same way that if a text talks about how Jesus is fully man, He's completely human, but yet you see him as divine. Well, he can't be like half divine and half man. That's heresy. And he can't be like three quarters divine. Yeah, we always postured that by saying he's fully God and fully man. And you make make these statements that on the surface don't make any fucking sense. But not even deep do they make sense. <laughs> no, but but it's it's almost like you have to resort to magic. How how can you be fully God and fully man? Well, I guess you know it works in Harry Potter or something. So <laughs> why can't it work in the Bible? And you have to suspend reality to make these things make sense. I mean, is that kind of where you ended up, Josh? I mean, as a as a Christian, you had to you had to really kind of force fit these things into some kind of making sense. You know, for me, it wasn't such an issue. Um, and and uh, I just finished the introduction to my new book. That's volume two of the, uh, the Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament. And in it, I talk about the difference between laying out uh, like a more reasonable uh, conclusion mm-hmm. and proving your case right, to, to your opponent. And there's a difference between those two. And when you try to prove something, like I'm going to prove that there's a contradiction here in Genesis 2 or something. Right. The fundamentalist evangelical or the apologist, all they have to do, and they'll do it automatically, 
is fall back on, is it possible that mm-hmm. it's not a contradiction? Is it possible? Because their underlying assumption is it can't be. This is a divine book. So if there's even a possibility that it's not a contradiction, let's say that this is a second group of animals that's being created here in Genesis 2, as opposed to them being created in a different order because it's a different story. Right. Um, if that's even possible, then that solves the problem. That's all they need. And I think this is the issue here. It was the issue here for me. Uh, all I needed was a possibility. And really, so often that possibility on these more difficult theological issues was, you know, God's not subject to the laws of logic. Exactly. What if I can't understand that there are three persons and yet one divine essence, Mm -hmm. the undivided? Yeah, that's right. The God's ways are higher than ours. Who are are we to question God's ways? Right. So for me, at the end of the day, it was... I mean, very much so because the Bible tells me so, and I know God and I trust him and he's, he's hella smart, right? And I'm hella not. So it's fine. You know, of course I would have said like hecka smart, but you know. Um, so Tony, to your question, I mean, does that, uh, is that kind of speaking to your question? I guess it's not really a question because you, I can't, do, do you really, do you, you don't believe Jesus yeah. is God. You're just talking to theists about it, right? Yeah, I'm, my position is that uh, he can't be God. I don't believe he's even real. Right. But um, I'm adamant in my position that the theist is wrong by yeah. saying that Jesus is God. And to be honest, this answer is uh, is not very helpful. <laughs> but uh, I'm, okay. it's not. I'm not blaming you guys. I mean, I understand that the whole text of the Bible is. But that's its nature to be confusing and illogical. Right. Uh, however, I have heard that uh, the early Christianity once uh, persecuted people for saying that Jesus was God. However, I don't know much about early Christianity. So, so I actually, I mean, I, you know, so um, I will steal uh, Dr. Josh Bowen's tagline. Um, uh, you know, I am not an expert on this, but whereas he has, you know, decades of being a Christian and then getting a PhD, I, I literally don't have any of that. So please fact check anything I say, take it with a grain of salt. But what I will say is that, you know, when it comes to the divinity of Jesus, I think one of the most damning things is that as far as early Christianity goes, like there was no consensus. That's why they had the Council of Nicaea to sort of designate whether they thought that Jesus was uh, fully man, fully God. Did he just appear to be man? I mean, these are these are arguments that have that were had for centuries before, you know, anything that we would recognize as the Bible as it is today was even put together. Um, one of, and you know, I, I know that as we've, as we've talked about, apologists have an answer for everything, even mm-hmm. if it's just God works in mysterious ways, or it's, you know, we're, we're big dumb and he's big smart. So of course we don't understand. Um, but one of the most damning things, I, I forget exactly which passage it is, but it's when, you know, I, I believe it's in Matthew when, when, when Jesus says, um, you know, not all of you will pass before the kingdom comes. You know, he's telling his followers, like, you know, act fast, get right now because the kingdom is coming and you like you guys will still be alive. This is happening in your generation. And so the first apologists really were the ones who had to reconcile the fact that they did indeed pass, mm-hmm. that the kingdom indeed did not come. 
And well, so, there, yeah, there are ways to dance around that too. The kingdom came when when Jesus was resurrected, so the kingdom was ushered in at that point. It's an invisible kingdom, and blah yeah, blah blah blah. Yeah, you know, and exactly. There's there's so much, but like, and this comes back to what is what is most plausible? Is mm -hmm. it is it is it more likely that Jesus uh, was terrible at explaining his point, um, mm -hmm. or that he was indeed not God and was just one of the many apocalyptic well, of the time? And that's the problem with all of this. And and I guess to your point, Tony, the reason that our answers are not very helpful is because there are no good answers to this question. There are only what, what yeah, we're doing is yeah what we're doing is parroting the Christian vernacular and the Christian ideology and the stand on this thing. So we really don't have, I mean, it doesn't make any sense that he's fully God and fully man. If he existed as a human being, how could he be God? But on the flip side of that, the whole New Testament story, the salvation story hinges upon him being God and sacrificing himself for our sins. So if he was a, just a man, what was the point of the crucifixion? And, and as Paul said, if there's no resurrection, then our faith is in vain. So all of these components of the salvation message hinge upon him being some kind of divine figure that was sacrificed for our sins, a sinless creature, the sinless spotless lamb sacrificed for a sinful man. If that's not true, then it all falls apart. So they've got to make him out to be God. Josh, wouldn't you agree with that perception of the message? Yeah, certainly. Certainly, at least in its, you know, final form. Um, I will say that Bart Ehrman, of course, who's written quite a bit on this particular topic, I know that he's given a seminar, giving a seminar, I think it's November 7th. Mm -hmm. um, if you go to Myth Vision, uh, mm -hmm. the YouTube channel Myth Vision, uh, he's got like a link in his most more. recent videos. And I think he had Bart Ehrman on to talk about it. But the seminar is when did Jesus become God? Mm-hmm. Right. So this, you know, th this is what he deals with extensively. So w was Jesus really uh, from a historical standpoint, you know, did he did the historical Jesus claim to be God? And when did that get attributed to him? I think, you know, he's obviously an expert mm -hmm. on yeah. this topic. So I would yeah. recommend checking yeah. that out. Well, also another person who lost his faith going to one of them secular one of them secular schools and learning all that devil stuff. Yeah, Princeton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, you know, speak, speaking of Bart Ehrman, really quick, he's also written multiple books about this. Uh, yeah, just quoting Jesus and Jesus Interrupted are two good books for you. You know, you don't have to agree with everything he says, but it's a good, good starting point. So, yeah. Uh, well, Tony, thank you for your call. We've got several other calls lined up. Uh, people wanting to get to Doctor Joss here. Thanks for calling, buddy. Thanks for your support. Thank you, Tony. Bye-bye. Bye, Tony. Get vaccinated. Bye. Okay, let's see. I think it's called I'm happy, him. happy to hear back from him. We, we yeah. had a long discussion about, oh, about good. vaccine misinformation. So. Okay, it's not letting me. Um, we've got a couple of the calls. I want to get to uh, these guys. Um, Kenneth, he, him in Illinois, wants to ask Dr. Josh, if there was a particular misconception that atheist community have commonly, I'm sorry, that atheists commonly have about the Old Testament. Let's see if we can get Kenneth on the line. Hello, Kenneth. Hey, Dave. How's it going? How you doing? Good to hear from you. Good, good. Yeah, I, uh, I just wanted to ask Dr. Josh. Also, I wanted to say uh, I really, really enjoyed the atheist handbook of the Old Testament. Um, but I, I wanted to ask if there are... Ah, uh, we haven't even mentioned the book yet. I'm a terrible host. 
<laughs> Say that name one more time, Kenneth. Yeah, the Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament, available at fine bookstores everywhere on, uh, you know, Amazon. I, I kindled it. There it is. Thank yeah. you, Josh. I'm so sorry, man. I meant to bring I meant to mention that at the top of the it's show. Fine. Absolutely but, fine. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, we're here to sell books, right? No. Um, <laughs> so, Kenneth, go ahead with your question. I'm sorry, buddy. Yeah, no, I just, uh, so in my interactions um, with, with theists, it's just kind of, I don't know, kind of funny. I, like, I expect theists to get stuff wrong when they reference their Bibles, but I, I almost hold the atheist community to a higher standard. And I'm wondering if, um, if there are things that, if there's like shit atheists say that, uh, that drives Dr. Josh crazy, uh, where, where atheists misrepresent or misunderstand the Bible. That's a good question. Yeah, there are a couple. I don't know that they drive me crazy um, because it, it. I guess it takes a lot to drive me crazy. Um, and I apologize <laughs> if you guys hear my three-year-old screaming in the background. There are five children in this house. so Hey, we had a baby uh, on the show last week. Don't worry about that. There you it, go. Man. There you go. Um, but like the one that I always, that always pops up for me is uh, in Exodus 21, 20 to 21, where it talks about if a man beats his male or female slave with a wooden rod, and they die under his hand, like die immediately, then he's not to be, or that, he, that he'll be punished. Uh, but if, if he survives a day or two, then he won't be punished because he's his property. Um, the way that, the way that that's often presented, of course, by a Christian apologist, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, it's the nice kind of slavery. And it's like, you know, so right, miss me right, with that right. shit. But, um, you know, from, from an atheist standpoint, the thing that bothers me is when, when you don't need to go to an extreme with that. Um, and going to an extreme is if you say something like, oh, well, here is God like giving a law that is intended to be a, like a, uh, a beat your slave to within an inch of their life and get away with it law. Like, Hey, Hey master, let me show you how to get away with, you know, beating the hell out of your slave and getting away with it. Just don't, just don't kill them. Mm -hmm. You know, well that, you know, that law is not pro master, right? That law is not intended to protect the master. That law is intended. Uh, it, it also does protect the master, but it's, main intent is to mitigate slave abuse right right it's tr it's trying to say look you obviously have to be able to beat your slave because that was their mindset um you got to be able to beat your slave to correct them because how else are you going to correct them or motivate them <laughs> how are you going to keep them in line uh, if you can't beat yeah. them yeah right. and i mean that's obviously that you know yeah. the, <laughs> exactly that's the point of the law but it's the law is not there as an in, you know with with the intent of giving the the master some kind of a a, a back door to just wailing mm -hmm. you know uncontrollably uh on their on their slave so um that's that's one another one that comes to mind is numbers chapter five if you guys are familiar with the sota the, the test for the unfaithful wife yeah, yeah yeah there's no question there's no question well tell us what that is in case someone oh, yeah. doesn't know what Sorry. that is yeah um so in Numbers chapter five, there's a test for the unfaithful wife. Mm, so yeah, this yeah. guy gets gets jealous. And the, the scene that's being said is that you have a woman who sleeps with a guy and there is a seminal omission, right? That's what happens in the text. 
And yet the guy doesn't have proof. He doesn't have evidence. There are no witnesses to this. So what do you, what, what's a husband to do? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so misogynistic. With, anyway, with with um, his property, what's yeah. he do? What's the husband exactly supposed right. to do with his property? Yeah. Right. How, how do we ensure that the bloodline stays pure? You know. So, um, God, so what he disgusting. does. That, there was a uh, there was there was something that happened in the ancient Near East that was called the river ordeal, um, and it's it's sort of like that. The river ordeal is the river was considered to be a deity. Right. So what they would do is if the same sort of situation happened where you have somebody that uh, is thought to have committed a crime or done something wrong, but there's no evidence, they can't you know, adjudicate it because there's, there's just no witness. What they'll do is they'll take the person that's suspected of it, they'll throw them in the river and in different variations. And the river being a God who knows what's going on will do what the, it wants to do with that person. So if they're guilty, you know, it might drown them or whatever, but if they're innocent, then they get out. And so then, you know, the judgment is made. It's a similar sort of situation in Numbers 5. So the unfaithful wife is brought to the tabernacle before the priest. And there's a, uh, like a, a concoction, a liquid concoction that's, you know, made from like dust from the tabernacle floor and, uh you know, th this text is read aloud saying, you know, I, you know, pronouncing judgment, a curse upon this woman if she's actually done that and she accepts the curse and then drinks the potion. And if, if she's, you know, then, then she goes home. And if she's innocent, she hasn't had sex with this guy. Um, then she's able to bear children. Everything's great. If she is guilty, then the text is a little weird in the Hebrew. It's kind of unclear exactly what's going on, but basically it looks like her reproductive organs are fucked with. Right. To say that. Yeah. Um, and uh, and she's not able to bear children. Right. So the way that this text is set up, it's in, the law is not it doesn't even have abortion in mind. I don't think I don't think that's what's in the mind of the text. Mm -hmm. So um, to say that this is like an abortion passage. Uh, I think is it's only correct in a certain way. Right. And the way that it is correct is if you, in fact, interpret this text like many or most fundamentalist evangelicals do, then they will say this is a law that was given to Moses. It was a practice that was done. And so in that scenario, even though the law isn't about abortion or being pro-abortion, there's no question that if this was actually carried out and there were women that had, you know, sexual interactions with seminal emissions involved, that there would be aborted fetuses, mm -hmm. right? There would be pregnancies that would be aborted. And so in that case, then the law is definitely, even though it's not about abortion, its end result is, uh, you know, abortive practices. And so right. being nuanced about that, I think is actually really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So your I point, I guess, overall is that atheists, can tend to take something to an extreme that doesn't even need to be done that way, that there's plenty yes. of yeah. damning content in the text itself. Yes. Is that kind of, did you get that, Kenneth? Sorry, we accidentally dropped you. Are you back? Yeah. No, no, no. Okay. No, that's, yeah, that's exactly it. Because like, it drives me nuts because I, I feel like we can steel man the Christian, as a former Christian, I feel like we can steel man the Christian yeah. position um, uh, safely and still, you know, be able to make our points. So yeah, uh, I was wondering if I agree. it out. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point, Josh. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's we have to be careful about that because I mean it it ends up hurting our position 
when we when we go over the top and and try to make something there that's not there when there's plenty yeah. there. And, and and I just real quick and Kenneth, I know you know because you said you, you you read the book, and I really appreciate that. Um, but you remember, Kenneth, like one of the chapters is about um, the 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 formation of the Pentateuch. So you know, did Moses write this thing? Yeah. And one of the things that I hear, not as often, but sometimes, is that, look, you know, we know how the Bible came together. There were these four sources, and they were woven together, and we know that that's how it happened, right? And all the scholars agree with that. Well, sort of, right? <laughs> Do they? So, so there are two main schools of thought on, on how the, the Pentateuch came together, one of the main ones is what's called the documentary hypothesis, and that's what they're talking about. And there are brilliant people that hold to that. Joel Baden is one of them up at Yale, um, and he's like written the book on it. And uh, but there are also like European scholars that hold to a different type of formation. The point is that you don't want to go saying everybody agrees that you know the JEDP is what I always hear it called, which is fine, but. You know, like the documentary hypothesis, that's proven and everybody mm -hmm. agrees with it. Well, you're setting yourself up. You're making yourself vulnerable because they don't all agree on that. Mm -hmm. And you don't even have to go there. What you can say and be suffice is everyone agrees. Evangelicals, liberals, whatever. Anybody that's a serious biblical scholar, the consensus is that Moses didn't write the Pentateuch, period. And we've known that for more than a century. Right? So... You know, I, but that's there are you really there are still your garden variety Christians sitting in the church pews every Sunday, who are convinced that he did because unschooled pastors continue to tell them that he did. Uh, isn't that what we've experienced? I mean, I was one of them. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's uh, an interesting point in itself, just to to get people out of the mindset that there is one reading of the Bible, one perfect reading of the Bible. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. So, anywho. Well, I appreciate the answer. Thanks for the call, yeah. Kenneth. Kenneth, Thank good you, to Kenneth. hear from you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. See you yeah. tomorrow night, dude. Have fun, guys. Uh, I want to say yeah. thank you to Asexual Atheist. Had a question, and what does volume one mean, Dr. Josh? <laughs> <laughs> So on, mean, the, it, on the atheist, sorry, I'll do it. Volume two's coming. <laughs> that was a setup. I I have to admit how embarrassed I am right now because uh -oh. you know I come home and I love to podcasts or different things while I'm working. So you know I knew. Well, I think we Genevieve will be back shortly. Let's take another call. Josh, you ready? Yeah, I'll set. Uh, I see you guys, the Elliot, Bonnie, and Kiro. We're going to get to you, but Elliot, you've been waiting a few minutes. Elliot, he, him from Tennessee, great state, wants to ask about the origins of the sea people and discuss with Dr. Josh. So we'll bring you on. Elliot, hello, are you there? Hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, Good to hear from you. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you both. Big, big fans of you both and Genevieve as well. Um, I know, I know this question isn't exactly uh, Dr. Josh's uh, wheelhouse, but <laughs> I, I was, I was so fascinated with the discussion about the Sea Peoples and kind of where this this group of of invaders come from. Um, it, 
it almost kind of seems like to me this is essentially like a like an ancient Near East band of pirates, practically. Mm. I mean, is, is that kind of a, a decent understanding? Or where are the origins of these people that we know of? Yeah. So the guy to the guy that is um, like the 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 man, the myth, the legend that that writes on this is Eric Klein. Uh, and he wrote a book called 1177. Uh, I think it's the the fall of civilization, the year civilization fell. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he he goes into great depth about, you know, right, right in the early 12th century and what happened. But for everybody you know, that might not know, um, the Sea Peoples, there, there's a time right around 1200 BCE, um, Egyptian power is starting to wane over Canaan. Uh, you know, over Palestine, and you know they've been in control of it for much of the late Bronze Age, most of the second half of the uh, the second millennium. And there's this archaeologically, we can see that there are just these massive destruction layers uh, in a bunch of different cities along the Mediterranean coast. And we also have uh, these these Egyptian inscriptions at a place called Medinet Habu. Um, and, and by the way, he's absolutely right. This is not like my area of expertise, Egyptologists or as he reels off these names and places, uh, (laughs) off the cuff. Yeah. I don't really know a lot about this, but you know, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) So, so, um, touche. Um, so, uh, there is, uh, there are depictions, uh, like actual iconographic depictions of, these people in boats uh, that are that are coming, you know, into Egypt, and there's a there's this huge battle right on the borders of Egypt by, by mm-hmm. sea, by land, um, and it's this group that's known as the Sea Peoples, right? And now, you know, the 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 Egyptians are able to fight them off, it seems, and yet we we have all these destructions down the coast. What? Uh, you know, what scholars have postulated here is that you have this movement of some type of a a group of people that's coming down um, from the Aegean region. And uh, there's a lot of, I mean, it's very complex how they determine that sort of thing. Uh, You know, we don't think that this is the first time that the, you know, that people from the Aegean obviously have come down into Egypt. We think there are mercenaries that, you know, have been down in the region already. Uh, but at any rate, it does seem like there's this, this group of people that comes down, bringing destruction with them. And ultimately, what's perhaps to me most interesting about them is there's one group in the Sea Peoples. We have like the Denyen and the Cheker and the Weshesh, and I can't remember all the others, but there's another one called the Peleset. It's a group mm-hmm. of the, uh, one of the groups in the Sea Peoples. Well, the Peleset are the Philistines. Oh. And the Philistines get, you know, rebuffed. They get stopped at the Egyptian border. And what we what we are reasonably sure about is that they go back up north and settle along the coasts in Canaan. So you get this Pentopolis, right? You get Gaza, you get Ashkelon, you know, you get Gath. You get these major Philistine cities right there at the beginning of the Iron Age. Um, and lo and behold, early Israel, you know, you look in like the books of Samuel, who are they fighting against? 
they're fighting against the Philistines. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, it's very complicated. Uh, I just, I just wrote the chapter in my, in volume two, I wrote last month, I finished the chapter on the Exodus, the historicity of the Exodus or the non-historical validity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and then I just wrote the chapter on archeology, span which is on the conquest of town <laughs> in Joshua and how, sorry, everybody, spoilers, but the conquest accounts bullshit, right? Um, <laughs> and we know that archeologically. Uh, but then it addresses, well, what, how did Israel come about? And what, last thing I'll say, what scholars are unified on, consensus scholarship, archaeologists, biblicists, is that the Israelites didn't come from outside of Canaan. The Israelites were Canaanites. They were indigenous right. Canaanites. And that's, they formed um, perhaps, probably, um, by interacting with, fighting against and differentiating themselves from groups like the Philistines. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Did that answer your question pretty well, Elliot? Yeah, definitely. I, I think it, I, I think it's really, really interesting, the connection between the sea peoples and the Philistines. And yeah. I wonder if it is maybe their kind, cause we, we see the Philistines being the, the opposite end of, of this battle with the Israelites, a, a good bit coming through, I think, the narrative. Mm -hmm. is, is this maybe like a, a, a recent memory of maybe this, this, this invading group of people coming in and, and the Israelite writers are just like still kind of salty about it? I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I see, I think the, the, the Philistines clearly stay. They yeah. stay in Canaan. And um, so like Avraham Faust in 2006 wrote a book called The Ethnogenesis of Israel or Israel's Ethnogenesis. And he's, you know, he's, he's, this is one of the things that he's arguing is, um, you know, how did, how did Israel form as a state uh, or form as a, as a people group? And again, the consensus position at this point is that this, these indigenous Canaanites, when these sea peoples get, you know, stopped uh, at, at the border of Egypt, they come back and many of them settle in Canaan. And when they do that, they start pushing inland, right? And, and fighting against the people in the highlands. Hmm. And, uh, and of course, the people that are in the highlands are the Israelites or become the Israelites. And so this sort of interaction, I definitely think that what you know, what the writer of Samuel is doing, these, these, this, is, this is a memory or he has access to some oral traditions or whatever. You know, I think that sort of stuff is still obviously very debatable. Um, but I think this is, you know, certainly recalling these formative days uh, of, of the, er the early Israelites sort of fighting against or interacting with um, this group of the Sea Peoples called the Blessed. Hmm. God. You're, you're just a wealth of information. I could just... I'm really, I'm really not. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you really are. You're too damn humble. Yes, word. you are. Um, no, I, I'm looking at the clock. We've got half an hour left. I've got a thousand questions myself. We've got two callers. I'm just... Yeah, likewise. How, to, how in the <laughs> hell... Uh, just... Uh, hey, Elliot, thank you. For, I'm going to let you go if you got any more. Thank you, Elliot. Yeah, thank you for your call. That's a great question, man. Yeah, thank you guys. Love the show. Love all three of you. Have Appreciate a good one. Appreciate it, man. Bye-bye. Thanks, man.
Yeah, I don't know what happened with my connection earlier. Um, I'm back. I, I think what I was just saying briefly uh, beforehand was that I'm so embarrassed because while I was working today, I was listening to, you know, a bunch of your talks and sort of, you know, just kind of getting ready for the show. And somehow in hours of listening to your very smooth, enjoyable voice, I missed the fact that you're the fucking author of the Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament. Oh my God, are you serious? <laughs> I'm serious. I am dead serious. And so now I'm sort of uh, like uh shocked um like giddy i get, get like a little starstruck because that is a book that i am so also equally even more so embarrassed to say has just been in my uh in my shopping cart for wow. the past year and a half um i'm so i have been so excited to read your book for so long and thank you for for writing it well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I appreciate I'm that. so sorry that I'm so bad at research, Dave. I should be better prepared for these guests, so I don't. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. When do you anticipate Volume Two coming out, Josh? Uh, so we're going to that Baja conference in July. Oh, that's right. right. You I, mentioned that. I, yeah, I definitely want to have it, uh, in you know, printed and in hand by then. But I, I'd like to have it. I probably shouldn't say this stuff because then I'll have to hold myself to it. But I'd like to have it done by the Tang Better Conference in mm -hmm. May. Um, so I'm working. I, I wrote the introduction yesterday. No, yeah, yesterday. Yeah, and uh, and I'm working on the Egyptian history chapter now. So uh, yeah, for any of you be... in those areas, what Josh is talking about, there's a conference coming up in May that we're both speaking at in. Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mm -hmm. um, Oz has put that on and his gang, uh, the Better Conference. And then there's one in July, the Atheist in uh, uh, Sarnia, Canada, right across the border from the Detroit area. We're going to be there in July speaking. So if you're in those areas, come out and see us. Um, we've got a couple more calls. I want to get to them. I've got a thousand questions myself, but I always want to give deference to the callers if we can. Uh, Bonnie's been on a while. She she, her in Wisconsin, reading one of Dr. Bowen's books, has some questions about terminology in different versions of the Bible. Question is specific awesome. to the Hebrew language. Hello, Bonnie. Hi. Hey, thank um, you for holding a bit. I, Welcome to the show. Oh, yeah, I love your show. Thank um, you. Okay, I have the Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament. Uh, awesome. And thank I love it. Uh, um, okay, my question is, uh, now I understand that you read Hebrew. Uh, I have mm -hmm. the Jewish study Bible. I have the archaeological study Bible. I have a lot of them. I also nice. have a Bible that has uh, in a, an appendix in the back, where in the Hebrew Bible, it, over 300 times it would have said Ha Elohim, making mm -hmm. Elohim plural, gods. Okay, but most Bibles are going to say God or Lord. And, I, and I'm wondering if it's like some kind of a conspiracy, you know, instead of rendering Ha Elohim as the gods, why do they always just render it like the true God or God or Lord? There's over 300 yeah. times in the Hebrew Bible where it would have been Ha Elohim. Yeah, so that's a good question. So just so everybody follows um, what Bonnie's talking about, uh, if you, in Hebrew, if you put the ending Im, on the end of a word, uh, it makes it plural. Mm. Uh, so melech mm -hmm. means king and melachim means kings. So uh, mm -hmm. el or eloah 
uh, are two words for God in the singular, but then you've get you've got this form Elohim or Ha Elohim, the the gods. Um, Mm-hmm. And so then the question is, well, why don't we translate this as the plural? Uh, and that's a fair question. Um, it's going to vary depending on, uh, you know, each passage. So quite often uh, it's very clear that even though it's a plural form, that it's being intended as a singular deity. Uh, a good example of this is actually uh, in the first verse of of Genesis one, Bereshit bara Elohim. So uh, bara is a, a, a third masculine singular verbal form, uh, and Elohim is its subject. So in the beginning, or when when God began to create the heavens and the earth. Hmm. So, like it looks weird to us. It's it's not quite the same as this, but in these examples, it's like saying, um, I put my pants on. Um, or I'm putting my glasses on, even though it's a pluralized form, it, it has a singular gotcha. idea. Mm-hmm. Now that's it's that's not a great analogy because I... there are times that it definitely does mean gods plural. So, um, but I... it, it really just depends uh, on on the context. So I don't think there's a conspiracy. Um, and, okay, and maybe can I, can I say something? Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay, now I know what you're talking about, you know, like in the beginning. Uh, I understand that. But there's over 300 instances where it would have been ha in front of Elohim, which would have made God, God. And yet every, almost every Bible, it's over 300 times, and yet every, every Bible says either God or Lord. Now, I'm thinking of like Genesis 5, 22 and 24, where it's talking about Enoch. He, he would have, it says, um, after his fathering, Methuselah, Enoch went on walking with the, it would have been the gods, not mm. the God, not God or the Lord. It would have been the gods. It was Ha Elohim. So I understand what you're saying, but there's over 300 times in, you know, in the Hebrew scriptures, what it would, like the Ark of the Gods, the Ark, you know, the mountain of the gods, mm. the in front of Elohim. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I was just going to pull up. Well, Bonnie, is there a, is there something that, that you're thinking is behind that or um, a point? Is there a... Because, yeah, because most Christians, I don't know about the Jewish uh, religion, but I know most Christians want to believe that God was just the God, you know, just Jehovah mm-hmm. or Yahweh. And they can't accept the fact that they were... Poor, that they were poly, uh, polytheistic, yeah. that they believed in many gods. So, um, that's why I think. Uh, that, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm done. Okay. Uh, I, I just wanted to say, like this, so this example um, uh, in, in Genesis 5.22, one of the reasons that I think it's justified to say the singular um is because if you go two verses down, uh, the text says, um, and Enoch like walked around Yitalik, uh with with Elohim, um, and he was not because Elohim lakach him, and lakach is is the word to take, and it's also in the third masculine singular. 
So Elohim, even though it's in the plural in both of those places, they're representing it with a singular verb. And this is, again, very standard. Bonnie, if you want, um, email me at digitalhammurabi at gmail.com. Oh. If there are certain verses where you're like, that doesn't make sense in this verse or in this verse and this one, go ahead and send them to me. And uh, I'll try to okay, because I'm going to because I have to say when it if you're looking at a Jewish Bible and it says Elohim instead of Ha Elohim, they're deliberately misrepresenting that because the Hebrew was Ha Elohim Elohim Ha Elohim, not just Elohim, which is like all of these other Bibles are just going to say God or Lord for Elohim. So okay, I'll I'll email you. Yeah, I think that'll be good. And I'll see, uh, it'll probably be when I'm holding some screaming babies in one arm, but I'll I'll, I'll try to click around and uh, and do a little looking into it for you. That's okay, very kind. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Of thank you for your call, Bonnie. Thank you for your call, Bonnie. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Gosh, I, you know, I, Dave, I know we want to get to these callers, but no, I swear I, I get, a, I get a thousand more questions every single time. You open your mouth, Josh. I, I it's it's a problem. It's a problem. Um, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I, uh, you know, I was just wondering because uh, obviously I don't have a PhD um, in Assyriology um, and, you know, the familiar, the familiarity that I do have with like the history of Israel is just from like my doing my own research, uh, mm -hmm. like reading other people's theses. And so what I understand um, is that, you know, Israel and Israelites were polytheistic or henotheistic for Call much from. longer from the than studio. what is what is depicted in the Bible, if that makes sense. Um, like from from what I understand is that, you know, there were there were people who had tried to sort of unite Israel under one God and they kind of failed and failed until it was successful and so a lot of the the stories that you see in like the christian old testament will sort of like you know whitewash that history to to point to there is one god and there has always been one god when in actuality when you're looking at you know archaeology and and you know even just like historical compared linguistics amongst israelites and canaanites yeah. um that that was not the case and i guess i'm just wondering how much of uh Israel's sort of polytheistic or even like henotheistic nature was was sort of brushed from the Bible and does that does that translate to not just like the Christian Old Testament but also like the Pentateuch yeah I mean a good place I think that you can see this sort of thing is actually in the Pentateuch in Deuteronomy 32 um, so there are kind of two main passages that people talk about and I'll be quick with this um, uh, Psalm 82 and uh, Deuteronomy 32, we're talking about the divine council, right? So like, let us make man in our own image, that mm -hmm. sort of language that you see in Genesis 1. Um, it, it's, 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 Deuteronomy 32 talks about how Yahweh is given his portion from among the nations, mm -hmm. right, by, by ale. And so then the question is, well, you know, are we talking about two different gods here is al one god like that's the, the head god like you see in canaanite culture um like at, at like at Ogaret or something uh and and yahweh is like one of the minor deities maybe the storm deity or are al and yahweh you know meant to be taken uh as as one you know like syn syncretized 
And I think that the way the Deuteronomy shakes out is it is trying to say, no, no, you know, like El and Yahweh, same, same deity. You know, it's not two different deities here. But I think it's remin it's like it's a good indicator. It's like an not an echo, but it you know, like it it shows that they're having to do something here, yeah. right? In the in the same way, very like in the David story. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons that we think that David is a historical figure and that what we see in, uh, you know, in, in the uh, historical writings uh, of the of the Tanakh um, is represents accurate history, just spun history is mm -hmm. because of what you see being said about somebody like David. So David is a thug. Right. If you if you read the stories, he's a thug. But mm -hmm. yet the way that it presents it. All the people that he's a thug, you know, to are act, they're all actually the bad guys, and he's the enemies actually, of God. Yeah, yeah. yeah, enemies of God. Right, right. He's and 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 you wouldn't do that if you wouldn't spin something that didn't need to be spun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's how I've always kind of seen David is that like yes, he was uh, a real person, but there was sort of this propaganda campaign that came man after God's own heart, sort though. Of like yeah, yeah, exactly. And by uplifting David as this you know, epic character, they've, you know, sort of added more legitimacy to, to Yahweh and the yeah. whole claim to Israel. Well, I want to get to, Kiro, we're going to get you a call in a minute, but I don't want us to leave the show. We've only got a few minutes left, but we, I, I feel like this point needs to be made tonight because we're talking Old Testament and that's your area of expertise. And, but uh, like we talked about on the phone the other day, Josh, um, the Christian world I grew up in, the evangelical fundamentalist, uh, Bible-believing charismatic world the 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 underlying sentiment about the old testament was well that's kind of unfortunate you know that that angry that angry god over there let's don't talk a whole yeah. lot about that well let's that focus. was the old testament yeah that's yeah. the angry old testament god and and let's talk about jesus and and the good stuff and and i don't i i can't let them get a pass on that because the old testament is is referenced so much in the New Testament by Jesus himself, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. You can't just ignore those Old Testament mythological stories as we know them to be now. If, if the character of Jesus believed in a literal Noah and a literal flood and a literal Moses and a, a literal Lot, righteous Lot, the writer of Hebrews calls him, we, we can't just let them pass on that. That's what, Speak to that in, in, in two minutes, Josh. What, what are your thoughts about that as a former evangelical yourself? Yeah, I mean, this was one of the things that drove me out, right? Is, mm -hmm. is the, 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 those are the types of things. If, if it's like if Jesus says it, that's, that's one of those pins that you can, you know, nails you can drive into the wall. And, and right. that's, that's a firm fixed point. You can build off that. So no if he's talking about, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So, no, sorry. That's, <laughs> um, and so that's why I think that when you see these historical problems uh, in, in the Hebrew Bible, there's this quick move to kind of get away. And it's not even, his, it's not just historical problems, right? There's a guy named Randall Rouser, who's a super nice guy, very intelligent guy. And he wrote a book uh, called, I think, Does Jesus Love the Canaanites? And what he's arguing is that, look, stop trying to whitewash this away. This is genocide that's being talked about here. Right. But we have to think of a new way to interpret this, right? 
Now, I will say this. If there are going to be Christians, I want them to be those kinds of Christians. Yeah, absolutely. I want them to be like Megan. My wife is a Christian, mm -hmm. right? She's an Anglican. And she'll be the first one to come down here and say, of course, the Old Testament's horrible. Like, <laughs> what? Yeah. It, yeah I, I like Jesus, right? But it's That's the same God. But it's the yeah, same God. Right. That's my point. But, she, but, but, but the way that she interprets the text is in no way this sort it's of... It's not literal. You know, it didn't really inspired. happen. Right, yeah. right, right. Right. And so God is, God is using a flawed, you know, story, yeah, a group absolutely. of stories. And I, those are the Christians that I want around because Absolutely. the reality here is that those people don't infringe on the rights of the LGBTQ no, community. No, they're not hurting and anyone. That's right. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that if, if Christianity is going to move forward in a, in a healthy way, I think that's the way that it's got to go. Um, well, and that's why I always in my talks and in whatever I do, I try to make a, a very clear distinction between, Christianity, uh, not all Christians are the same. And I, I, yeah. I speak out against fundamentalism, evangelicalism, those, yeah. mm -hmm. those brands, those iterations of Christianity that are, that are really doing that's damage. What, and that's and, what my books mm -hmm. are directed. I know they are. All of the arguments in my atheist handbook to the old Testament, that's they're, they're against fundamentalist viewpoints. That's mm -hmm. what they're almost exclusively fundamentalist and Christian apologists. Well, let's take, uh, we're going to talk about Satan now. Um, because he's a real problem, and he's really been after me a lot lately. No, we've got Kiro in Tennessee. He, uh, Kiro Wolf, he he's, uh, did the super chat earlier, wanted to discuss history of Satan in the Old Testament with Dr. Josh. Really quick, we've got a few minutes. Kiro, how you doing? Man, peace and blessings, brother. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm about 10 years out. I'm about 10 years out from being free from the bondage of Christ. Um, I started reading how I got free was a good friend of mine challenged me to read the Bible in its entirety. And I got about halfway through with it mm -hmm. and I realized that it was, it all started to kind of fall apart. And yeah. it, um, I realized, yo, this is a really heinous book and it's a full of a lot of terrible atrocities. But one of the things I was looking for when I was reading the Bible in its entirety was the story of Satan. Because in mm -hmm. the church, we're told he was a musician. He was the archangel of music. And, you know, this whole um, this whole uh, cinematic story about him going, getting jealous of God and getting cast out of heaven. And so when I was reading the Bible, I couldn't find it in there. And the closest thing I could find was the story in Isaiah, yeah. where he refers to Lucifer being cast out. Mm -hmm. And from my own studies, that seems to be referring to the king of Babylon. Yeah. And not the typical Satan. And the word mm -hmm. Satan is used in the Bible is more that it means the adversary and That's not right. an actual mm -hmm. name like a person's name. So I, would ha I have a lot of things I would love to discuss with you, Josh. I don't ever get a chance <laughs> to have like a direct discourse with somebody who studies this for real. I just read the books. So I would like to hear your input on that and what you have to say about it. Yeah. I mean, so Elaine Pagels has written on this uh, pretty extensively. And if, if anybody goes over to Myth Vision's channel, uh, Derek interviewed her in person. Uh, and she talked about this, you know, the development of Satan extensively. So mm -hmm. like somebody like her obviously has greater, much greater expertise than I do in it. 
there's no question that uh, the figure of Satan developed. And one of the things, so like when you go to the book of Job, for example, and it says, you know, and Hasatan comes up, you know, this isn't like the guy with horns, right? And the, you know, fork tail or something. This is the right. adversary, as you say, and he's part of the divine council. Um, but as one, there's, there's something that happened in the second temple period. And that is you know, as, as the end of the, first millennium is, you know, the first millennium is drawn to a close BCE. Um, there's this, this thing started to happen where people started, the believers started looking around, the faithful were looking around and saying, well, we're supposed to be like winning at some point. <laughs> you know, uh, what's going on here? Why is it that God's plans keep getting thwarted, Right. And one of the things that right. developed is this idea of apocalypticism mm -hmm. and apocalyptic literature without going into a lot of detail sort of hangs on two basic things. Um, one of the main things is this dualistic approach to reality. So God isn't God, like if God is all, all powerful and sovereign and in control, why are we still getting, you know, why, why are we right. still in this hellish existence? Well, there's got to be this other force out there, this evil force yep. that's working against God's plan. So this duality starts to develop. And so then this apocalyptic literature, so now God is not, he's not the author of evil, right? He can't be the one that's doing it. Um, you know, he's got to be, he's, he's got to be allowing it somehow, but for his own ends and so ultimate, he's not the one bringing it. And, you know, so, so when you read through things like the book of Daniel, which is apocalyptic literature and you have, uh, you know, uh, angel stands before Daniel and says, you know, the prince of the prince of Persia was withstanding me. And when he goes, the prince of Greece will come. Well, these are divine beings that are fighting against them. Right. And this is the idea of apocalyptic mm. literature. So when you then see the other aspect of apocalyptic literature, it's pulling back the curtain to show the recipient of this this vision or this dream, this unseen realm. Right. The heavenly realm that the, and or, or the, the supernatural mm. realm and the, the curtain gets pulled back and you go, oh, my God. Look at all the the demons and you know the 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 forces that are fighting against God in the background. But 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 hang on, yeah, because God, it's right around the corner. God's gonna come and put it all right. right. And so that's that answers things like the Book of Daniel. Why does mm -hmm. Daniel fail on its face? Why does it get reworked and brought into the New Testament? Why does Jesus say, like, you know, hey, you know, you're not going to, as, as Genevieve was talking about, it's not going to pass away. Why is it that Paul says, you know, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds? Why is it that Peter, you know, pseudo Peter, whatever, has to say, don't count God's slackness, you know, as, as you know, he's giving mm -hmm. more and more opportunities. It's because it, it allows for this dualistic, he's allowing Satan to do his thing, mm -hmm. but don't worry, God is still in control. In yeah. The end. Mm -hmm. He went out for cigarettes, but he'll be back any moment. <laughs> <laughs> so man created Satan, so there's a bad guy. You've got to have a villain in any story. Yeah, there has right. to be a villain and a hero. Mm -hmm. and, that's right. And so the writers... It was an evolving the, duality. Right. Yep. That make, does that make sense, Carol? Okay. Well... 
Yeah, yeah. that makes perfect sense. I have one small question on the tack on the end of that as far as the term Lucifer, meaning morning star. And correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Jesus referred to as the morning star in Revelation? And that's interesting to me. So I don't know if you have any commentary on that, but... I don't. Um, yeah, I haven't thought I, about that. I, I think he's called the son of the morning. Yeah, well, it's... um. Because Lucifer was was Latin for for like light bringer, um, and then in Revelations, I believe in one uh. of the translations of the New Testament, it mentioned that Jesus, you know, in this string of of you know uh, names that they gave him, because you know it's the more names you have, the more important you are. They mentioned that he was also a light bringer, but as far as I understand, that is where Lucifer comes from, which is that Latin translation, which is just. For, for Lightbringer. Um, yeah, I don't, okay. you know, I'm curious, Dr. Josh, is is Lucifer actually considered a, a genuine character in the Old Testament? Um, so I haven't, I haven't looked through Isaiah 14 uh, in, a, in a while. Well, so I'd, so, go ahead. To my understanding, Lucifer is like they what they refer to the planet Venus because it's the brightest star in the morning, or it looks like a star. That's the things that I've read and studied. That's yeah. what I've gathered. Now I don't know the validity. Of I'm that, not but familiar, but that makes perfect told. sense. Mm -hmm. You know, it's yeah. I as as far as I understand, um, over the last two thousand years, we've sort of taken this idea of Lucifer and Satan and the snake and sort of kind of jumbled them together as this one thing yeah, that you really don't actually see happen in the Old Testament. He's whatsoever. the character, an amalgamation of several characters. Exactly. Um, basically, he's the bad guy, and I think there's going to be a surprise twist at the ending where Jesus and Satan are the same. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's gonna... uh, is it going to be like a Scooby Doo? <laughs> Yeah, something like you're that. Gonna, you're gonna like pull <laughs> pull the mask off of Yahweh. I would have gotten away with it too. We're really <laughs> psychologists. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, look. Hey, look. I Thanks, Kira. Everything that y'all are doing, I would love to contribute any way I can to everything y'all are doing. Keep so keep sweet. it up, and um, y'all have a good evening. Thanks Thank for calling, so buddy. Thanks Thank for you, your man. support. Take bye bye. Ah oh, man, we're out of time. I hate it. We had another call. I don't know. Yeah, she's not there. We can't take her now. But Kathy wanted to talk about uh, the evangelical Christian persecution she's been feeling personally lately. That's for a, a talk for another time. Kathy, if you're still here. Please call back next week. Oh my call God. next week or call tomorrow night. I'm on The Perspective with Kenneth Litter. That's Ethan Michaels' show, 8 o'clock Eastern tomorrow night. You, we're happy to talk to you there. But uh, call next week, please. Uh, we'd love to chat with you about that. Gosh, Josh, we got to go, man. But uh, I, I, I just, we're both, Genevieve and I are both just like, I, we could do this forever. Yeah. What, a, what a great show. What a great conversation. We have to have uh, you back sometime because I feel like in an hour and a half, I can't go through all of the questions that I have. Yeah. Sounds and great. Even remotely. And we're, we're looking forward looking forward to hanging when we get to hang in person. Folks, like the, like the channel. Subscribe, please, if you haven't. Consider supporting us on Patreon if you can do that. Thank you for the super chats and everything you do. We're trying to have really, as you can see, we're trying to have important conversations and, and, and things that help people make people, uh, help people understand and, and work through things in life better. And uh, these are important issues. Like we mentioned at the end, the Old Testament definitely affects the New Testament, which definitely affects how people think and 
how they how they feel and what they what their life looks like and Jesus Christ how they vote. Um, so these things matter. These conversations matter, and I appreciate what you're doing, Josh. I, I wanted to get to more of your motivations for why you write the why you write in the books and stuff like that. And, and we'll what's, have to do it next time. Yeah, we're gonna mm -hmm. have to do it again. Uh, you you need to have a channel, man. You need to be doing this every week. I'd love to. Just, you have a channel. Yeah, what? Digital Hammurabi. I don't. I guess I w I'm sorry. I, I'm gonna get My over there. God. I'm in, well. I I'm embarrassed uh, for you, Dave. Uh, yeah, Josh, you should I'm be. I'm embarrassed for myself that I watched so many digital Hammurabi videos today, and I somehow didn't put two and two together that you are the Josh Bowen. Well, that wrote I'm me. getting over there. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna. I wanna. I wanna. I wanna be on there with you. I wanna do whatever. Yes. So I'm glad you do I'm that. No, no, seriously, I didn't know that. But w tell us what that channel is again. For the viewers. Yeah, so Digital Hammurabi, H-A-M-M-U-R-A-B-I. Uh, -M -M My wife runs it. Uh, she's okay. also an Assyriologist uh, wow. with a minor in Hebrew Bible, and she's far more brilliant than I am uh, and better looking, too. So uh, it's nice. And she's got a British accent. So Oh, you know, my God. She's the whole threat. package. She really is. But uh, Are you writing your wife's you know, Tinder bio right now? I feel like she's taking it. <laughs> <laughs> but let me know. Um, I'm just kidding. All right. Yeah, but she, um, we put out videos essentially making the ancient Near East and the Hebrew Bible accessible and understandable. Oh my God. I want to. So yeah. we do a lot of interviews with, uh, you know, high level scholars. We had John Collins on from Yale, Joe Baden on, had Bruce Wells on from the University of Texas, Austin. And talking about ancient Near Eastern stuff, Bible stuff. Um, we do a lot of edited videos that talk about things like the dating of the book of Daniel or slavery in the Hebrew Bible or wow. all those kinds I of did. things. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of it. I'm glad I am now. I was just teasing. <laughs> no, I, I, I love that. I think I'm glad that I'm glad you're doing that. I think it's, I think it's great. Uh, what are, what are, how else can people support you and find you? I know the books, but what else, Josh? Yeah, we're, uh, I, I sent in um, one of those, I already forgot what it's called. Tree link, I think. Link, I think link tree. Like link tree. Link tree. Yeah. <laughs> no boomer jokes, everybody. You're so fun. Um, okay. Dude, uh, I'm older yeah. than you, and even I knew that. <laughs> we have a... Uh, that's funny. Um, <clears throat> so, no, I'm just kidding. We have a, uh, a, a website, digitalhammurabi.com, and all our stuff is on there. But if you awesome. go to Amazon and type in Joshua Bowen, it'll bring up all four of our books now. Two more are coming by the middle of next year or so. Awesome. Uh, but it's well got done. a lot of information in there. Well so. done. Well, give my best to Megan. Look forward to meeting you guys next year at the, at the conferences we're going to share. Genevieve, good to see you again, as always. Mm -hmm. Folks, thanks for following and watching and calling in. Keep, do, keep supporting us. We appreciate everything about you. So love you guys. That's our show for this week. Mm -hmm.